This is the Reformed-ish podcast. My name is Charles, and I'm here with my co-host Kevin, and we're here to talk about the gospel, the Reformed Christian life, and everything in between. I'd like to start off our time with a little story. Uh, it's a story about a coworker of mine that I've gotten to know over the past few months. So I work for a company that has two main offices, one in San Francisco and one, one in Washington, D.C. And just a few months back, I was in SF for a work meeting where I met this coworker and found out she was a Christian. I mean, how often do you end up, you know, finding someone like that? Almost never. Yeah, and we shared her testimony, how we met the Lord. And since I was there over the weekend, she said, hey, come, come over to my church. And I said, oh, that'd be great. I don't wow. know any, any churches there. Yeah, yeah, and I'd love to go. And so I went on Sunday morning. They had three services. I went in the one in the mor- very morning. And I'll say it's, it was a very new experience. I walk in, it's pitch black and like disco, like hip hop, like all sorts of music for the first 10 minutes as I'm sitting down in the wow. pew. Wow, okay. It's pop music? It's pop music. It's poppy music. Actually, I don't even know if it's pop music, but it sounded, uh-huh. it sounded like that. Uh-huh. Uh, the service starts, Fog Machine, amazing band. Strobe lights. Pitch black, yep. And strobe lights, all of that. And um, it was a one hour service. Uh, 40 minutes of it was for praise and worship uh, and different little sort of things in between. And then the last sort of 10, 15 minutes was dedicated for the sermon and then a wrap-up song. Uh, most of it, which was was p- pitch black. So actually when I came out, it was just bright, sunny. My eyes were like, oh gosh. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was that kind of an experience. And then, you know, you skip forward maybe another two months. She, she came over to D.C. and uh, had the chance to invite her over to my church, to Capitol Baptist Church. And... I mean, right off the bat, I knew it was going to be a different experience for her. She walks in. It's not an hour service. It's more like two and a half hours. <laughs> right. Uh, a very long, typically an hour, 45 to an hour sermon. Three public prayers. Hymns. A lot of hymns. Uh, sitting up and down. It's, very, it's a liturgical service. Uh, creeds. Just yeah. a bunch of like a lot of traditional stuff. Yeah. And I was curious to know how, how she thought about the service. So, you know, right when the service ended, we actually grabbed lunch and we started debriefing about the, uh, the service. Mm-hmm. What did she say? She, she didn't like it, you know, and actually she was discouraged. Mm. She said, Hey, this is not for me. I don't think it was so rigid. Uh, I don't think I want to come back to your church again. She was discouraged by the, she thing. was discouraged. It's like, why, why, why are we, it's so boring. It's like, how, why would I, why would I invite my friends to come here? Wow. Right and yeah. like, how is this appealing for for it? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I get what you're trying to do, but at the end of the day, I, I disagree with a lot of the style. And I share this story because I think it's it's relevant to what we're going to be talking about. Our episode today is titled "Cool Relevant Christianity." Yeah, uh, and Chuck, I think the tension that we are feeling after hearing your story isn't anything new. We face this question as Christians pretty much on a daily basis as we try to live faithful Christian lives. Uh, We ask ourselves the question, like, uh, how much uh, can I be weird in in the sense of Christianity, um, weird, gospel offensive weird, uh, and how much like the world can I be like uh, relevant, contextual uh, in order to gain an audience and a platform? I mean, the world does frown upon Christianity, right? Because at its core, the world versus Christianity has very opposing worldviews. Uh, and some Christians might disagree with this. Um, maybe your coworker might. Um, they might think it's possible to influence culture by being a cool Christian. 
But the question then I really want to drill down into in our t- in today's episode is: Can you be a cool, <laughs> relevant Christian? Is that is that a thing? Is that an oxymoron? Well, I think it depends on what you mean by cool. If cool means friendly and collaborating with the secular world, I think it's a clear no. We read in First John two fifteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's right. I mean, go back to the Gospels, Mark eight thirty six. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So in the Bible, the world is pitted in contrast to Christianity all the time. And right, and I think that's why we've seen some more extreme reactions to this teaching from the Bible. We've had kind of like the fundamentalist movement, uh, the dawn of the 20th century. Uh, That was a response to the theological liberalism that they had seen infiltrate the church. So, you know, there's a stereotype of those Baptists in the South who don't watch secular movies or dance or drink alcohol. The, like separate from right, the world. Right, let's of. separate. And, and uh, a lot of that was true in the fundamentalist movement. Uh, and, you know, we really need to cut ourselves off from the secular world um, in all aspects, including mm-hmm. culture. Well, and then the other extreme, I think, are Christians who are obsessed with being seen as, as legitimate in the world's eyes. Right. So today, the, uh, you know, that manifests, I think, in a lot of seeker sensitive churches that try to make Christianity seem a little bit more palatable or cool. Yeah. We've seen, I've seen these churches on, on the internet. Uh, they're the ones with, you know, I think a certain kind of look, a certain kind of aesthetic. Um, preachers and sneakers on uh, Instagram. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. So is that wrong? Chuck, is, that, is, it, is it wrong to have the, the wide rim glasses and the ripped skinny jeans and the extra tight muscle teeth? Is that, is that not okay for us to do? <laughs> that sounds like you, doesn't it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, the common reasoning I hear oftentimes uh, from some friends and, and some people who attend these churches are that they're just trying to reach more people with the sure, gospel. So sure. what's wrong with contextualizing? What's wrong with dressing cool as long as uh, you know, I get people into the door? No, that's a good question. I think contextualizing isn't wrong. It's necessary. I mean, we think about the Bible translated into modern English so that you and I can understand God's word. That's contextualization. I mean, we have a text that was originally written in Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek, into a language that English people, English speaking people, can comprehend, and that's a great thing. Yeah. In the same way, churches should seek to do that in their services. So, for example, the sermons for an English speaking congregation should be in English, mm-hmm. using illustrations and modern vocabulary that that specific congregation understands. The songs they sing should be in English, not some foreign language, and and it needs to be simple enough to be sung and comprehended by the people of that church. Now. The problem is when we prioritize contextualization over biblical faithfulness. Okay. Yeah, well, dig a little more into that. What does that mean? Yeah. So reaching more people with the gospel and God's word is great. We need much more of that in this world. Advocate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The issue is when you try to make church palatable for unregenerate Christians. So people who aren't saved. Exactly. You You know the saying, like, what you win them with is what you win them to. 
Of course, non-Christians are going to be uncomfortable about long services where you have long prayers and read the Bible. That's because these things are what legitimate Christians do who have a relationship with God. That I mean, cr- only Christians would enjoy that. Exactly. Yeah. So the moment you turn your church into some hipster folk rock concert so that a bunch of non-Christians can enjoy it, you're going to suddenly find that your church starts to look a lot more like Mumford and Sons than the biblical model of a church we see in the New Testament. Yeah. And I, I think that's exactly the issue when people say that they're reaching more people through these seeker-sensitive churches. I mean, what are you reaching them with? So oftentimes what ends up happening is it, it they come up with a watered-down form of the gospel. They don't really talk about Jesus dying on the cross. Uh, there's no penal substitutionary atonement for people's sins. They don't talk about the fact that people are cosmic rebels who are sinners against creator of this universe god and are thus deserving of judgment forever in hell i mean it's it's an offensive message it is a very offensive message and that's the core of christianity um but oftentimes instead uh, these churches will talk about how jesus will fix people's brokenness and sorrows which he will um but they're often in the form of it's almost like jesus is a therapeutic moral Mm -hmm. counselor Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rather than a messiah for their sins a Mm -hmm. savior right so these watered down soft pedal gospels end up being not really a gospel at all not really being good news they don't really tell how people to find salvation by having faith in christ alone so this cool hipster therapeutic counselor version of christianity uh turns into a moralistic therapeutic deism, as Christian Smith calls it. And that's, I think we see that all over America today. So, I mean, are you, isn't that just for really seeker-sensitive churches? Isn't, isn't it, because they're in the extreme. So I understand that, but it's just that, right? I mean. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, but at the same time, I think there are tons of churches in evangelical circles, you know, the circles that we sometimes run in, even in the reformed-ish world, right? <laughs> that uh, they would say they're faithfully trying to share the gospel, but they're wow. They really prioritize looking cool and being relevant. Uh, they have these big mega churches um, with shiny buildings, a cafe that serves pour-over coffee, uh, iPads in the pews, or like really, you know, those cool fog machines and laser laser lights and and the beautiful fit people on stage. Um, like, why are they trying so hard to be seen as cool? I, I think that's that pervades through a lot of churches in America, not just the seeker-sensitive ones. So so dig in a little bit more there. So what do you think really are the issues at heart? Well, I think the thing that I often hear is that people want to gain a presence, right? They want to be respected in their community. And those things aren't wrong, right? Mm-hmm. First uh, Peter two twelve calls us to live respectable lives. Uh, Peter says to the church there. He says, "Keep your conduct uh, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." So it's it's good to be a good, credible witness in the community. But it gets wrong when I think first, you, you know, churches are succumbing to cultural standards of relevance right what you were talking about before we're prioritizing contextualization Mm. over biblical faithfulness yeah and i think a lot of it comes from the fear of man i mean no one wants to be considered uncool no one wants to be persecuted yeah that's not my idea of fun yeah but the bible tells us that all who desire to live a godly life in christ jesus 
will be persecuted. Second Timothy three twelve. Hmm. So I think many churches in the Western world try hard, and it's easy to be tempted actually to try hard, yeah, to look like the world because they don't want to be looked down upon, yeah. But we need to remember, even being looked upon by the world, is the cross that church must bear to faithfully follow Christ. Yeah. And I think the second thing that's going on is that I think many churches are looking more like the world because they're allowing themselves to be more influenced by the world than by God's word. Now, I assume that many of the leaders of these cool churches have good intentions. Yeah, they're, they're trying to be faithful with what they have. Yeah, yeah, I assume and, and that a lot of these leaders are doing what they're doing because they feel that this is the most faithful way to serve God. Mm-hmm. So I'm not questioning their hearts here. Or their intentions. No, yeah. not at all. But we also need to recognize that good intentions are never enough. Mm-hmm. Instead, we need to be asking ourselves, what does God's word say? What does the Bible teach us about how the churches should worship? So... Even more granularly, what types of songs should we be singing? Should we be having lights and fog machines? (laughs) What kind of dress is appropriate? Can we have flag waving and dancing in the aisles? I I love flag waving. (laughs) (laughs) If we look carefully, Kevin, God's word gives us a clear biblical pattern to follow. Uh, This is what the reformers, John Calvin especially, and the Puritans called the regulative principle of worship. Right. And many of our churches today who would, would do well to learn from our wise forefathers in our faith. Yeah, and uh, in that sense, they allowed the Bible to regulate the way that they would live out their lives. That's right. And, and what conduct they would have in the church. That's right. Okay, so I think we're at a point where, you know, most of us, you and I are on the same page. Hopefully most of our, our listeners are on the same page. Mm-hmm. We need to think more wisely about how we do church. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good consensus we've come to. Uh, it's it's good not to mimic the standards of the world. But then there another question arises, mm. right? Does that mean at this point then we need to be out there Christian weird, mm. like super weird, like so that <laughs> you know that we can uh, because we don't want to be like the world. No, not at all. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. And, and striking that balance is hard. I mean, Kevin. You have you have a little little story, right? Well, I mean, I I failed really hard doing that when I first became a Christian. I think I became a really extreme bad example mm-hmm. of what not to do when you're first converted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost most of my friends from high school and, and my non-Christian friends from college. As, as you became a Christian, as I became a oh. Christian, because I was, you know, I was almost like separating myself from them to almost a legalistic way Mm. saying oh no i can't even like eat with you or hang out with you because Mm. you guys are sinners and not don't believe in jesus and i only wanted to talk to them about the bible and the gospel Uh, i almost treated them as uh, targets of evangelism rather than people and friends to to love on yeah and I, i mean look i think as you were doing that i think part of it was was good you know, that strangeness you felt, the awkwardness you felt as you were hanging out with your secular friends is good. And actually, I, I th- I'm actually encouraged by you saying that because some of it was because you were trying to be holy. Mm-hmm. And part yeah. of it comes with separating yourself from... Right, there from is a cost yeah. to falling Christ. Yeah, yeah. But in, in an ever-secularizing United States, I think we need to recognize Christians will always, to an extent, be very uncool. And to bring our discussion back to where we started, I think we need to recognize the gospel is going to be inherently offensive at its core. And not that you should add offense, kind of like what I did, um, but we need to 
really embrace the fact that it's a foreign, alien type of message for non-Christians. Yeah, and it gets even stranger, doesn't it, Kevin? Like, get this. We believe in a Jewish Messiah <laughs> who was crucified by his own people. Yeah. Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world as both God and man to take on the sins of his own people. I mean, you can't make this up mm. to be a substitute for the punishment that we deserved as sinners. And then three days later, as a sign, a miracle to show that he was indeed the Messiah. He was resurrected from the dead. I mean, talk about a, a stumbling block. I mean, amen. Well, I, what a glorious message, but often how, how ridiculous that sounds for a non-Christian. I, yeah. I look back at my own time when I was, I was an atheist or some kind of agnostic, mm. uh, how ridiculous I thought that these stupid backwards Christians could be so superstitious. Uh, I thought it was so ridiculous that they believed in a literal bodily resurrection. Um, but what always seemed to bother me, though, in the back of my mind was how the disciples, as I was reading the Bible, because I was challenged to by my non-Christian friends, or sorry, by my Christian friends. Dave. Dave. Yeah. Uh, how these disciples were so who were so quick to abandon Jesus when when it came first time for the cross, could suddenly then regroup together in boldness and then go on to die and be persecuted uh, for for some religion that they had probably made up. That's what I was thinking in my head. That's right. Uh, that that didn't make sense to me. Like if the the resurrection must have happened for them to do for that. them to do that. Mm. Um, Who would give up their own life to die for some stupid story or myth that they had made up about a fake messiah? Okay, so now we're going to the part of the episode, Chuck, where we're going to be a little bit more polemical. I'm going to spice it up a little bit. This might be a little controversial. (laughs) Step it up a level. Chuck, what do you feel about churches like Hillsong and Bethel? Calling them out by name. Yeah, I I like a lot of their songs. And if we're being honest, their songs often have way better theology than their teaching. There are tons of Hillsong songs and some Bethel ones that I'm more than happy to sing at church because of how Christ-centered and biblically grounded they are. But the teaching's not good, Chuck. I mean, the the, the preaching. <laughs> no, you're right. And, yeah. and we can address that in a separate episode. But the problem I want to address now is that what they're doing is packaging Christianity to be essentially attractive to worldly people. Even though some of their songs are good? Even though their so- some of their songs are good. So, for example, the pastor of Hillsong, New York, Carl Lentz, is often up on stage wearing $10,000 outfits. Yeah. Consisting of Gucci shirts, you know, distressed fear of God jeans, and, and some rare Yeezys. And How do you know those brands? I mean, I, I did research. I don't, I don't have them. <laughs> um, and they're constantly boasting on social media about who they know. Justin yeah. Biebs, Selena Gomez, right. Kevin Duran, and other celebs who come to their church. And I think part of what that's doing is these churches are do what they're doing is actually hindering Christianity than promoting it. Uh, they're saying to people, hey, you don't have to change. You don't have to give up your sinful lifestyle. Just show up to church sometimes. You don't have to repent or believe Christ is the only way to salvation. Just be who you are. Chuck, I, I agree with you. They're preaching Christianity without the cross. Uh, we're, we're nearing the end of our time here, so I want to close on this. We're thankful that Christ in many ways was not cool. Mm. He did not seek relevance. He didn't succumb to social norms. He did not seek the approval of man, but instead sought the approval of, of God the Father. He did not pursue comfort, but went towards the cross. He was beat 
mocked, spit upon, and ultimately he would be crucified upon that cross for our sins to save people like me and you, Chuck, all those who would repent of their sins and and believe in him. Amen. Amen. What a savior. Thank you all so much for joining us for episode number one on Relevant Cool Christianity. We hope that it was helpful for you and that it stirs up some good thoughts and discussion as you go forward throughout the week. Join us for next week for another episode of Reformed-ish.